and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, extra special episode of Normandy FM. We are in the middle of Dragon Age Inquisition. Of course, I am one of your co-hosts, Kenneth. I just said I was nope. Kenneth Shepard. <laughs> nope, that is not who you are. <laughs> I, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen. I've gone so many episodes without saying the wrong name, and then I was so on autopilot, so ready to go forward with it, that I almost called myself my other co-host, Kenneth Shepard. How are you doing, Ken? What up? Are we really only halfway through? Or are we, are we even halfway through? It feels like we're like a third of the way through. I think we're like a solid third to half. I'm not sure. Are we like, I don't know, sixth? 13th of the way through something like that. We've got that. three months left of this game. We have at least that. Yes. Uh, and we have plenty of characters left in this game, which is why we brought on the one and only Stephen Strom to talk today about Iron Bull. Stephen, how you doing? Hi, it's great to be here. Kenneth Van Allen and uh, Eric Shepard. Uh, I love both of your work. You guys mm-hmm. do great stuff. Um, I've been following you for years. Mm-hmm. I love the podcast. What is this? Normandy AM. Um, it's yep, good, yep. good, good, great. Uh, hi, it's good to be here. Um, <laughs> I've never <laughs> been on this show before, but it's exciting. I mm. couldn't believe that, honestly. When we were talking about guests for Inquisition and Ken was like, hey, we should have Steven on. Been on yet. I was like, really <laughs> how we how we not it seems like we should have had you on by now are you are you a mass effect fan at all did we just miss you for the mass effect seasons i was big into mass effect when it came out um and then just kind of i've never been really one to go and revisit a lot of the old bioware stuff i fucking loved mass effect 1 2 and 3 when they came out i played a little bit of andromeda and then mm-hmm. fell off of it very quickly <laughs> um and i i fucking loved uh dragon age origins it was actually well, uh, my mm-hmm. favorite dragon age um and dragon age 2 i think i ended up beating later on and then dragon age inquisition are reviewed so i'm i'm up to date on most of the modern bioware stuff but i wouldn't say i'm like a super fan either well you know we try to have a mix of fans on here i know we have at least one person on this this season who does not like inquisition fun fact um it's it's gonna be interesting interesting okay i'm excited to listen to that one i'm excited to listen to because I feel like this wasn't controversial at the time, but I feel like in the years since it has become controversial to like Inquisition. Mm. Yeah, it's. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's. Mm. Uh, the game has a lot of revisionist history around it. Like, I don't think that's <laughs> up for debate. I mm, just about every Bioware game has revisionist history around it, though, right? Cause, that's like, true. I was I was thinking about this the other day because once again we are finding ourselves in the middle of rumor season and uh you know was it like a week ago or two weeks ago that we had the mass effect retailer leak or whatever Um, yeah the trilogy thing yeah and i was just sitting there thinking and i was like god you know it's going through mass effect 3 uh discourse again it's just gonna be cursed it's just gonna be Mm. terrible but at the same time i almost hope that maybe people will try to give it a fair shake this time around you know maybe it's got Don't all the dlc on the you know the the what is it? not the fixed ending the extended cut and all that and the director's cut the yeah. snyder cut oh my god <laughs> mass effect snyder's cut is the most it's, fucking cursed thing i've ever heard it's the hudson cut oh <laughs> it's, no it's, it's what was always wanted this one's got four colors for an ending Ugh. electronic yeah. arts kept it down he didn't yeah, want you geez. to know. 
Uh, um, I've actually never gone. That's another thing I've never gone back and done is uh, done the director's cut or the extended cut or whatever they ended up calling it. Wow. I never did go back and see that. Yeah. Hmm. I beat Mass Effect 3 when it came out. I was like, all right. I, I wasn't like, uh, well, I was also not a person who was like, boy, they really fucked up this one. Like, I, I thought it was uh, <laughs> fine. And I was just like, okay, mm-hmm. I, the, this biosynthesis, Technorganica, Beast Wars, Beast Machines type thing is kind of kind of silly, but fine, whatever. Uh, and then I the, actually, to bring that back to Dragon Age, I've never played any of the Inquisition DLC. It's which is like, mm. it's te- tr- is it just Trespasser or is there more? Oh, there's more, but um, that's the one that matters. Okay. Yeah, the rest of it's kind of like, Bioware always has that funky thing of, okay, here's some immediate post-launch content that's basically just, you know items and stuff like that you know, yeah it's a little yeah extra just pre-order stuff you know but um i feel like it's a very least... jrpg thing a lot of jrpgs tend to do stuff know, like that right? and it, it, i never end up using it because it's always like usually either trash gear or it's too overpowered so it's like <laughs> why, why bother or you look like a fucking uh baja blast master chief in oh, ferelden or something like that because um, it's ea and they had all those crossover things back then was it it was mass effect was it mass effect 3 that had the blood blood, blood dragon, dragon. Was it? Yeah. That, two? that might have been t- mass effect 2 might have been 2 i think it was 2 yeah. and maybe also 3 maybe you I might be right armor just it was at least 2 so i know that. over the top uh, and then I remember it was because like, it would cut both ways. It was also um, you had the blood dragon armor in Mass Effect, and then you also had the like weird sort of space knight armor in, uh, or v- vice versa. You had the weird space armor in a couple of the Dragon Age games. If I'm not mistaken, maybe mm-hmm. I am. I think there was even a dead space armor set in Dragon oh Age Two. God. Oh yes, that's EA Two, isn't it? Yeah, that's a game we'll never see again. <laughs> that's yeah. That one's uh, preserved in Dragon Age too. Yeah. Um. Boy, that was that. Yeah, that whole era was just like rife with EA doing a lot of that stuff. Because that was also a dead space. Not to get completely off track. That was just also when um, Microsoft had its own like uh, Xbox 360 colored Dead Space armor, and PlayStation 3 had its own like Obsidian black PlayStation 3 George Foreman grill armor. Um. It was just very funny to me. Yeah. It's. It's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time being in in Bioware land. <laughs> and now uh, everything's just in Fortnite. That's where all the crossovers happen. Oh, can you imagine if Fortnite gets Mass Effect crossover DLC? I just oh my god. Oh my god. What, that's what how they glider is the the Normandy. What if it's the Mako? What if you just like f- glide in <laughs> using the Mako's jump jets, those piddly little jump jets as you the fall Mako, down, but it's upside down. Oh my god. <laughs> As we all remember the Mako. Um, oh, we're here to talk Dragon Age, though. Ostensibly, this is still a Dragon Age podcast. Uh, this is what happens when I don't have a... When my, my Dragon Age knowledge is drained out of my brain over the past, like, uh, what, four years now? Um, this is what happens. See, thank you, because I sit here every week where Ken, you know, just chides me, just derides me for having <laughs> no memory like no cogent memory of dragon age inquisition it was years ago <laughs> it was a long time ago you know how many but video games we I've also played? play them for the show like within weeks of it happening so oh yeah. did you know okay, okay that changes the discussion okay, hold on now hold on now we do play the sections for the show the week that we mm. record this 
However, when we are talking about things that I have not gone back and played yet because I'm keeping up with the show, I'm keeping pace with the show, that is is where I get shit. And I feel (laughs) that is wrong because at least when I get shit, at least when I am like confused, I am forthcoming about my confusion. Not in my experience of knowing you for six years. (laughs) (laughs) You want to know a person who doubles down? Eric John Van Allen. (laughs) <laughs> Look, first of all don't use my middle name <laughs> or at least use my fake middle name you have to mm. invent a fake middle name like i do for everybody uh second of all i don't know where i was going with this um how you feel about uh, iron bowl eric i look iron bowl the iron bowl I please the definite article is very important yes, the article is important he likes to feel like a weapon of destruction, mm-hmm. uh, like a roaring dragon, uh, and and something else that I'm suddenly forgetting because I can't make cogent memories in my mind anymore. Um, it's we're here to talk about Iron Bull. Uh, and before we get into it, uh, Stephen, I want to know like what drew you to Iron Bull as a character. Well, let me just find, I, I described Iron Bull to uh, the rest of uh, fanbyte.com here earlier today uh, when we were talking about something, because we uh, I was talking to them about how it was going to be on Normandy FM, and um, uh, John Warren was like, oh, that's, uh, that's cool, like, which character are you going to be on there for? And I said, the Iron Bull. And uh, I described him as uh, I described the conversation I had with Ken when I was going to jump onto the show um, as going like, uh, ah, darn, I'd love to do the Iron Bull. But like, I'm sure everybody wants to uh, be with the uh, big horny fuck mercenary Oni guy. (laughs) So uh, I I bet that move is is done. I bet like I can't be on the show for that one. And then uh, Kenneth was like. Nope, <laughs> you're the first person to ask. It's like, okay, well, I think the uh, descriptors I just used for the Iron Bull, though, are uh, basically the main things that drew me to him. Um, also, just like, on it, like, in more seriously, like, just the sort of general uh, idea of like a really affa- uh, affable Kunari was a mm-hmm. really novel at the time, which I'm sure Bioware was 100% aware of what they were doing with that, too, mm-hmm. and, and to make him stand out, especially compared to someone like Sten from uh, Dragon Age Origins. Um, and I don't... You don't have any Kunari party members in 2, do you? No. No, no okay. Um, so, you know, Iron Bull is such a standout character in that way. It's so different than what we had seen from different characters up until that point. Um, and also on top of that is this, like, you know, when you decide to flirt with that person which when i play a dragon age game or most bioware games really i flirt with every single character uh, mm-hmm. up until romance options can start to happen because i don't want to miss out on the opportunity to romance them down the line if i want to mm-hmm. um and if you do that with bull uh how that ends up working out is you go back to your uh room one night and bull is sitting on your bed and says like i got the hints you want to ride the bull. And I was like, yeah, okay, yes, I do. <laughs> and that was uh, kind of history. And then I just followed that uh, that path down to the end. Yeah, it's... um. So I'm going to be up front. People have been listening to the show. People have been wondering, who's Eric going to romance this playthrough after royally fucking it up on Solace? Oh. Um, 
look, we have litigated this multiple times in the past. Oh yeah, I, Natalie I, Flores I, has been on this show. I get it. <laughs> I played a little. I played a little too hard to get, and Solus was not willing to chase. It's his <laughs> loss. You know, that's where I'm at with it right now. Uh, I I was down. I was downtrodden. I was I was lost, alone, without love, and in the wilderness, I found a bull. And mm-hmm. uh, I I have, ladies and gentlemen, I have ridden the bull. Nice, uh, good. I have. Congratulations. I, I, I do not know if I'm going to take it further down that mm-hmm. path or not, uh, for reasons that we will talk about in this podcast. But <laughs> uh, I I will say that just engaging with this game differently one of the things that immediately stuck out to me was i think there's kind of two different iron bulls that people talk Mm. about i think there is sort of the rex style character who's your you know big affable lovable commando you know it's oh i love to go kill things it's fun to kill things and drink and all that um and and then there's kind of this other side to iron bull that I think is both uh, really interesting because there's like some emotional depth there, but also uh, highlights a lot of kind of the gray areas of Dragon Age when we get into things about both the Kune and also, uh, and and Ken, you actually brought this up when we were doing our PAX panel, but you you mentioned like the alcoholism and how it relates to Dorian and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I was starting to see shades of that in doing Bull's side story. So it's, yeah. I, I almost kind of, it, it, it's weird to me because I like Bull for all the things that I think a lot of people like Bull for, but there are parts of this character that I think don't get addressed or discussed very yeah. often that kind of should be because I don't, yeah. I don't think they make him a bad character, but they do make him a more complex character than people. <laughs> I think there's like kind of tendency to overlook a lot of mm-hmm. things that Iron Bull does because like he is this very you know this very charming fun character to have around, but like you know there are people that you know that are, are you know you enjoy their company and you like having them around, but they are very capable of doing toxic shit and I think Iron Bull is a character that if you're not engaging with him and like on a like a more than like just a kind of a superficial level, you really kind of see like shades of that and. I mean, luckily enough, the I think you know the worst sort of uh, offense that he has is kind of relegated to other people's places that I don't have to see. But um, I, I've been coming coming to terms with it. I I think Iron Bull is like you know he's a very like kind of iconic character in this game. But I think I'm coming to terms with the fact that I don't think I like him that much. Hmm. Interesting. So I, I figure it's probably good at this point to at least bring back up the recruitment mission that we have with uh with bull and with the chargers because we already talked about it earlier in the podcast but in terms of just contextualizing who bull is as a character when we first meet bull it's actually through krem who comes to us uh, i think while we're at haven right yeah you, you can't recruit the I, I don't think you can recruit the chargers and bull once you're at skyhold right mm, i've actually never like miss i've never waited that long to find out yeah so. I've never when I was reading to... earlier, I think they just referenced Haven. I don't know if maybe, like, Krem would show up in, like, a different tavern or something like that, and you mm-hmm. just talk to Krem. Uh, I've never try actually tried that. Huh. Maybe I will look this up later. That sounds interesting. Or if there's, like, some sort of thing that happens if you don't recruit them. Anyways, uh, I wanted to bring it up because 
Uh, the first thing that it does is I feel like it introduces both Bull and the Chargers, which is really interesting. Um, it's, I think one of the core parts of Bull's story that resonates with people is it's Bull kind of learning what matters more to him in terms of relationships and and who matters most uh in in his life and whether like the society it's like nature versus nurture almost um mm-hmm. you know does the society that raised him matter the most or does the the people that he cares about in the here and now matter the most um and so introducing us to the chargers that way is really interesting that we get to go fight alongside them and kind of see what the chargers are about and get a sense of who they are but also Bull just straight up tells us that he is a double agent. He's a mole. He's he's like, yep, I am Ben Hasrith. I am working with the Canari. I'm going to be feeding them information on you. And in return, I will feed you their information and also help you kill things. Um, Which I think I mentioned this at the time, but I, I remember liking a lot just because it's this character who i think when we think of spies or like espionage and stuff like that it's really easy to suspect that's going to be like a very stealth assassin type character like liliana is not that that far out from what you would normally expect for like an assassin character like a very femme fatale sort of thing so to have this big burly guy with an axe who's just (laughs) finished murdering a bunch of people be like yep i'm a spy like I was kind of into that. I I was already... It also helps that he's just charming as shit, but uh, I thought it was an interesting way to start a a companion quest line. It almost reminded me of Dragon Age 2, the way it's this character is like, yep, I am here for my own interests, and right now they work with yours, so let's work together. Yeah. Yeah, the Iron Bull, Zari, is unique in that way in a lot of ways, and... I think a lot of the most complicated stuff with um, them is just that I think a lot of what is complicated about Bull is that the Kunari are very complicated in the Dragon Age universe. And I, mm-hmm. I think that kind of, you know, nature versus nurture stuff is, so, such a, is such a difficult thing to unpack because we have never seen... What is their homeland called? Is it just called... Oh, there is a word for it that I ran into when i was playing last night and i cannot remember it now um because they're like they're they they have such a weird complex um you know what's that parvalin parvalin yeah 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 they have such a weird complex um religious order and uh, um idea of nationality and idea of like roles and caste society and stuff like that and it was a thing where back in dragon age origins it was just i was just in a very different place at that time and had a very different view of the world at that time and didn't really think about things in quite the same way it was just like oh wow they're so interesting and weird and other and mm-hmm. in the years since it has for me really highlighted a lot of the best and the worst parts of Bioware writing and Bioware, Mm. more generally, video game fantasy world writing. I think Obsidian uh, Entertainment also runs into this same exact issue a lot, which is a lot of video game writing, uh, especially when you're writing, like, cultures and nations and such can really boil down to... uh, It's like like, like a bag of dice or whatever, and there's, like, ten white dice in that bag, and then you have to add another... 10 black dice into that bag to balance out the white and it's like Mm. so they'll just like come up with like ah this 
country is very, very good and progressive in this way. So we need to think up like one way that they're really shitty and backwards yeah, in another yeah. and yeah. to balance it out. And they're just constantly putting one thing on top of the other. And it's like, and that's how you create moral grayness. And it's like, mm, <laughs> not really. It's mm. like that stuff comes from a very complex, you know, system of history and uh, events and culture and, you know, uh, things that have happened to people and choices that were made in the past. And a lot of Bioware uh, cultures, uh, fictional cultures in Bioware, uh, can tend to feel very arbitrary in that way. It's like, um, and with uh, Parvalon, it's very like, ah, they're very sexually open, you know, they're they're good about um, queer folks and transgender folks and stuff like that, but also they treat, um, they treat mages as like animals and they, uh, 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 they annex a lot of people. Yeah, 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 put that one down, write that down on the whiteboard. <laughs> um, they're conquering. Yeah. They, they love to conquer. Mm-hmm. Um, they like to hit things and they enslave mages, but worse than the humans do. But worse uh, than the yeah, worse than the humans do, of course. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh what if slavery but too much, you know? Really makes you think on that one. <laughs> Turn the knob on that one a little bit more. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So. Uh and bull is such a such a contrast to the very like um, very uh, I would say very heavily like kind of um communist inspired uh designs of uh the cunari uh they, they is probably the closest thing that I would have to a real world annual analog in the the dragon age universe they are probably the most like uh socialist style state out of anybody um but then their uh, you know bioware's interpretation of that is also it's just like and from the moment you're born you're de- it's decided exactly you know who you ha- you know what job you have and who you are and what your name is and what your and your name is your job and blah 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 and then the way that plays out with uh, the Iron Bull is because the Iron Bull has been away for a very long time, um, he develops a very different personality, a lot of different uh, habits than the ones that we would normally associate with the Cunari, the, very different from any that we had ever seen with the Cunari in the previous two games. And it really highlights some of the limitations in that style of writing when uh, the Iron Bull is made to represent all the worst and best parts of this mm. entire culture in the game. Mm. That's yeah. a real Bioware problem. Just in yeah. general. <laughs> I, totally, I'm glad you yeah. brought that up because like, that was kind of where I was going with wanting to talk about this stuff first was that one of my main takeaways from Bull was that you spend a lot of i guess the early parts he's another one of those characters where to unlock his companion quest you have to talk to him about certain topics much like josie and other characters have had in the past and one of the really interesting weird things about that is that you end up in these situations where he he is kind of standing in as this character that is this I mean, we talked about this with Mass Effect. I think Mass Effect 1 suffered the most from this, where it was like a character was made to be a stand-in for an entire alien race for you to right. live entry through them. Um, what's up? Like a, a living codex entry? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, totally. I, I feel that as much as I love Tali as a character, a lot of the early conversations with mm-hmm. Tali are just, hey, <laughs> tell me about those Quarians. By the way, it's been bothering me the whole time. Uh, Quarian and Kanari. Uh, just putting that out there, like... Come on, Bioware. <laughs> don't they don't look at your cues. homework and and be like, uh, make it the same but a little different. Um, but the it's cool to get some insight because again, Sten, you know, we bounced off of in our playthrough for sure, and I think 
the weird thing with Sten was that having a character who was pretty content with being you know Sten because that is like that is his profession name that is his name under the cune and all that um having a character that is more arguably a Talvashoth who is more arguably outside of that system to tell us about that system does kind of give you additional insight you know lets you see it from a side that understands the greater world outside of it and can contextualize it for someone that does not live inside that system right but at the same time i felt like a lot of bulls especially the romance was trying to convince him to break his own culture yep in a way that i was just really yeah. uncomfortable with um to, to break his own culture and this is something that i know now having not never played trespasser but having read about it in preparation for this podcast that uh i mean this is not a unique problem to bull because this is uh-huh. just a thing with like all loyalty missions in the like the last four <laughs> bioware games uh-huh. um but like there, it is this very binary thing of just like do you want them to be your friend or do you want to kill a bunch of babies <laughs> and um <laughs> in this case it is literally um your options are to have him betray his culture and his people and his faith or and uh, stay on with you or betray his friends and kill all of the yes, kill up yeah. them to stick with them. And if that happens, no matter what you do, according at least to the, the Dragon Age wiki that I read, mm. according to that, if, if if he sticks with his culture whatsoever, the only option for him going forward is to uh, die in yes, future playthroughs yeah. when you play in trespasser it's to betray you and then be murdered by your hands which fucking sucks like the implications <laughs> of that are terrible like that re- like mm. it really dials back to this idea of um this very uh, i mean this is a problem with the dragon age origins that i think like a lot of people really wanted to see uh some very different stuff and we're slowly getting that over time but maybe not as much as we would want um you know dragon age origins has this very eurocentric um ferelden is just um feudal medieval europe right yeah, um yeah. And it is consi- it is basically presented throughout the the series up to this point as as the baseline as as yeah this is it's got its problems it's not it, you know it's not great in every way but it's good you know it's it's basically good it's it's the centrist neoliberal uh, medieval <laughs> fantasy world. Um, it's basically good and then these other places are just like well they they're good in some ways but they're way more extreme in others and that's how they do that weird um white black balancing act that they do and the stuff with uh the iron bull and trespasser it amounts to at the end like them kind of taking the mask off like but no really anything that isn't this norm is bad if they if he sides with the kunari that's bad that's bad for him that's bad for you there's the he needs to be assimilated or or it's a disaster um and all you know anytime we ever you know obviously they wrote the Tevinter Imperium to be fucking horrible and just awful uh and a lot of the people in it to be be horrible and awful but again like that all that also is horrible and awful and then like oh over in Orlay it's like everybody's just murdering each other all the time it's just like these places it exoticizes all these places that aren't the like very 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 basic baseline um european standard as being like what if this but too much and then also to balance it out because it's a video game and we need to make it morally gray uh what if they had some good stuff too you know yeah i, I wanted to bring this up to like to to poke at Ken a little bit about this because I, I feel like uh, 
we've we talked through all of Origins and all of Dragon Age Two uh, about how the the Templar Mage conflict just mm. could not really do a good job of establishing a reason why you would be for the Templars. Mm. And I feel like playing the Templar side now in Inquisition, it still doesn't really get there, but it does at least provide characters who offer reasons for why the Chantry Circles and having some sort of institution there uh, does make some level of sense. Like Vivienne and characters like that uh, provide some nuance to that discussion. Mm. Uh, with with the Canari, like it, it just feels at least with Bull's storyline in particular, that as Steven was saying, the way it plays out is <laughs> you just kind of get shown, well, do you want to uh, have the Iron Bowl of a happy life with the people he loves and everyone around him happy? Or do you want him to just be the most miserable person in the world, but still loyal to his society and to his culture? Until you um, fucking murder him in, in the yeah, streets. And- Till you murder him. Uh, I mean, h- how do you feel about that in terms of, like, you know, the the mage stuff that we've had troubles with in the past? <sighs> A lot of questions there. Um, <laughs> so, like, to kind of clarify, like, are you, are you trying to, like, see... I, I'm basically just saying, like, do you feel like we got to a point with one conflict that we finally have some nuance and some discussion, and then now mm. we're kind of back to square one with another? I think a lot of the problem that, I, and I don't think Inquisition has, by and large, kind of reconciled with this, is that because there's always an insistence on giving us a level of agency to like put our fingers in all these conflicts, and like there is mm. supposed to be that sort of uh, binary choice that we're supposed to make. I don't think that most conflicts in this universe get the level of like nuance that they deserve. Because like Vivian specifically, like is a character who. We could have used her in Dragon Age 2 when the game was trying... Like, the, the series at large was trying to, like, set this very specific binary um, narrative and kind of, like, paint it in, like, weird real-world allegorical ways that maybe, as we were talking about the panel, don't add up. Um, mm. And so, I think when you're coming... To, when you're coming down to... Like, the when we get to the next... The, uh, the honorable quest here, when you're coming down to, like, is he going to follow his path and be of the culture that he grew up in and be miserable or is he going to break away from it and be you know with friends and happy I feel like when you're kind of when you kind of frame these inner inner conflicts and these cultures in ways that are like boil down to like choices of like economics and warfare and how they can help you as opposed to be more of this uh, you know far reaching thing that has bigger ramifications for the universe at large instead of just like how is this going to help the Inquisitor and like how is this going to help us beat Corypheus um I think you'd kind of you get like such a small sense of how these grander conflicts affect a universe which I Mm. don't that's why I think that I don't know like maybe Dragon Age games take on too much at once and even Mm. and then when they when they take on very small, like, smaller, singular conflicts like Dragon Age 2, they ruin it by both sizing issues of oppression and um, not having, like, that really nuanced perspective that you get from somebody like Vivian. so. Replaying replaying Dragon Age 2 at the same time I was doing a West Wing rewatch was just something else to do. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's That's a combo. That's a cocktail right there. 
Yeah, no, it's you start having weird dreams where President Bartlett is talking about uh, Anders blowing up the chantry, and it just gets real weird. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I guess we can get into the the companion quest, which you know, as we mentioned before, it's demands of the Kuhn. Um, it's it's set up so that you meet up with Gat, who is this, uh, I believe. Uh, a former Venatori or Taventer? I think Taventer slave who was freed by Bull at some point. That would make sense. The um, we we should mention, I guess, that at, at this point, by the time you're doing this quest, you kind of meet all the Chargers, and one of the main takeaways is that there's uh, the Chargers are a very diverse group. They've got a dwarf they've got a runaway doctor they've got a dealish elf they've got like a lot of people who all kind of come from different backgrounds um and, and you get kind of the sense that they're very much like is is dirty dozen the apt reference here that they are just kind of all from different backgrounds banding together under one like a team type squad i mean the dirty um, dozen were prisoners and uh krem is literally an escaped um deserter uh, from dozen, I thought that was the Great Escape. Uh, so <laughs> they're both what about prisoners in World War Two. <laughs> we... What movie am I thinking of now? Uh, the Dirty Dozen seven, is seven we took a bunch of convicts and uh, recruited them to work for us, and then the Great Escape is POWs trying to escape. Wait, from, uh, wait, Nazi the Dirty Germany Dozen is the Suicide Squad. <laughs> the Dirty does, yeah. Well, I mean, the Suicide Squad. Let's not get it twisted. The Suicide oh, Squad yes, is yes. the Dirty Dozen. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, hold on. I figured out what it was. I was thinking of the Magnificent Seven. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Cowboys that get together to defend the town, and it's like a, re- a Western remake of Seven Samurai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we figured out which number of commando people doing <laughs> suicide mission we were talking about. With which weapons in which era. Yes. Uh, so many, so many movies. Can. Uh, are we adding any of those movies to the list of movies that you have not seen that we uh, are all keeping of tally of now? Oh, my Lord. Oh, you should see Seven Samurai. Uh, Seven, Samurai is Seven Samurai is very good. Uh-huh. Saw the no, that was the remake. I don't know if that counts. The remake? Did the you remake? see the anime? No, I didn't know that was the thing. The anime was weird. The anime is weird. It's, it's got a, Piccolo it's a, in it. Strange vibe to it. <laughs> I just remember watching it and being like, "Huh, I guess you could go this way with the Seven Samurai if you really wanted to." Um, anyways, so we don't get too off track. Um, but it is kind of this this mixing uh, this mixing pot of all these different cultures, but all these different characters who would you know feasibly be outcasts for whatever reason. Uh, you know, the dwarf character, I think. Uh, was kicked out of Orzammar for blowing stuff up. I want to say, like they blew up part of the Shaper it, and the Dalish. I I love the Dalish character because mm. her name is just Dalish, and the running gag is that she does magic, and everyone in the Chargers knows that she does magic, but obviously she can't announce that she's an apostate because right. that would cause problems. So she's just like, yeah, I've got a bow. And it's got a crystal on the top of it and doesn't have a string. It's a Dalish thing. Don't worry about it. It's a good bit. I remember that now. Yeah. Um, but uh, the whole setup with this this mission that we go on for, for Gat and for demands of the, of the Kune is that we are taking the Chargers and our own kind of strike team and going to take out some some encampments of venatory mages who are shipping out red lyrium and 
the implication is that if we help the the Canari out with this, the Ben Hosrith, the the secret agents of the Canari, will then be officially allied with the Inquisition. Which Bull is. I don't know if we've mentioned yes. like that is what yeah. he is. Like he's not just working for them or with them. He is one of them. He is he's an a, agent. Yeah, a member of the Ben Hosroth. So this this will come into play in a moment. <laughs> um, so uh after we we set up this mission and Bull decides he's going to go with us to help secure one camp while uh um Oh my god, why am I suddenly just completely... Krem and... I kept wanting to say Clem. I don't know why. Krem. That's a um, Walking Dead character. I know, right? Um, I, know, uh, I keep thinking you're talking about Warframe, honestly. There's a Clem in that game. I'm just like, oh yeah, Clem, of course. I love him and his uh, cool guns. Uh-huh. Uh, my my favorite Dragon Age character with the two dual assault rifles. Don't spoil to Ken that Warframe is our next game after Inquisition. <laughs> He's not ready yet. <laughs> oh my god. That the You would... Oh, there's a lot... I, okay, not I to know, get off track. I, I know of the thing that happens. I got spoiled on it like a year ago, which which was kind of a bummer because I would have liked to have seen that play out in person. But yeah, it, it's that a does bummer. sound like a very cool thing. Um, so, it, already kind of throwing up a red flag that there is going to be problems in this mission... Uh, Krem and the others go to assault one camp while we go to assault the other. And uh, the whole way Gat is kind of giving Bull crap about it because he's like, oh, you gave them the easy camp to storm and all that. Uh, you know, just kind of throwing up giant red flags that something is going to go horribly amiss. Uh, and as we, we take out these camps so the Canari Dreadnought can come in and take out the smuggling ship, uh, we realize that some Venatory mages on the beach have showed up and are theoretically going to do one of two things. Either assault one of the camp positions, which the Chargers are currently holding, uh, likely wiping them out, or they're going to take out the Dreadnought. Uh, if we tell the Chargers to back off, the Dreadnought's going down and the Ben Hosrith will no longer want to ally with us. But if we let the Dreadnought stay up, by having the Chargers defend it, they will all be murdered and die. But we will have the Ben Hosrith joining us. Um, boy, this feels like a non-choice to me. <laughs> yep, I think for most people, uh, having talked about it with other reviewers at the time, um, I can't think of a single person or a single conversation I had ever had with anybody that not uh, who didn't do it out of curiosity on a second playthrough ever chose to sacrifice mm -hmm. the chargers because yeah. like why would you <laughs> yeah um, uh, should i sacrifice like a... all these characters that have names and faces and personalities mm -hmm. who i've gotten to know over time or should i sacrifice this big brown blob on the horizon <laughs> i mean if you're playing as like a ruthless like calculated character i get it but also like how can you get this far into the game and still like be hardened like that and not give a shit well, yeah. it, even from like a from a tactical standpoint too, like obviously like having the Cunari on your side, I guess is is theoretically like in a long term kind of a big thing. But also the option here is: do I want a bunch of spies or do I want a big cool mercenary group? Because you're still <laughs> getting you still get to keep like some cool force that joint that that continues to work with you and for you and be your friends too. Even from that perspective, and I don't know. It's it's it is such a uh, do I want to uh, save an orphanage or do I want to kick this puppy kind of moment? Mm -hmm. 
the the thing that got me is it feels like a Mass Effect three choice. Uh, mm. It reminded me specifically of the Genophage choice, where you have the option to do this terrible thing because it might net you a thing that you want, which is the support of the Salarians. But in this case, like at least in Mass Effect three, there is the offer of a more tangible reward that you are getting for doing this terrible thing. You know, you see points go up and that is reflected in the end game when you are doing all the things you need to do to stop the reapers but in terms of inquisition there is the war table and things like that but it's never really there i feel like there's never an implication that you need to be building forces against corypheus in the way that you are materially doing so against uh the reapers in mass mm, right. and and they just like, feel like such different threats to you. Like, Corypheus yes. is a dude with, like, a very tangible... Like, he's a strong dude who has, like, a strong army. The Reapers are, like, an existential threat to, like, yes. the concept of sentience, you know, <laughs> in, in that universe. Um, like, the, the the stakes that they set up with Corypheus... And that's probably a bigger conversation to be had just about Corypheus and, like, the, the overarching story of uh, what is going on in the Dragon Age universe altogether. But, yeah. The, the context lends a lot of a very different look at like how dire the situation is and what it requires you to to do mm. I, I was glad you brought up that these are also characters because that's kind of the other material difference is that you have this character in Krem that you interact with in camp and that you can have conversations with and that you can learn about and like that's kind of saying you know like do you want to get rid of this person for some arbitrary benefit you don't fully understand right um we never get a chance to meet the other cunari we never get a chance to talk to them except right. through iron bull who is literally an exception like he is literally it is he's literally presented as like ah but he's one of the good ones kind of mm -hmm. in a in a very kind of <laughs> reductive way uh the game presents him as like ah he's a cunari that you can have a drink with and you can talk to mm -hmm. and have sex with and all this other fun stuff he's not like those other weird faceless hordes over there to the far whatever direction they're from you know um which is just, yeah. I've, I've hammered this point into the ground, I think, at this point. But I, I think so many of the problems with this quest and just, I, you know, the Iron Bull in general as a character is just also problems with um, the presentation of the Cunari. And it, it really just does yeah. continue to come back to that. Also, there's a person on a motorcycle who decided to just uh, rev around my block <laughs> once real quick and said, be like a kind of a cool guy. Kind of like a, you know, like a cool guy. Have you ever heard of those? <laughs> a cool guy. Not on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Never. <laughs> I would never accuse you of that. <laughs> Can how, how did you, I mean I I know what choice you made, but yeah. but did, like you know what other thoughts did you have about this this mission in particular? I guess and kind of what it poses to you. Uh, I mean, it kind of. So I've been talking a lot on season about how my character of the Inquisitor is like to some extent disinterested in the, the conflict that he's in and like the the grander stakes of these things. So when it gets to, like, choices like this, I'm never, like, it's not even about, like, being altruistic, per se, about, like, being like, oh, I want to, um, do the thing that is nice for my friend. It's more like, I don't feel like what we're doing is worth the lives of people that, like, I, that I know, that I work with, and, right. um, so, like, it's weird to, like, come from this in, like, a very cynical way, but that is kind of, like, the character that I'm playing in this game, to kind of be, like, I don't care enough about this faceless entity of, a, like, 
a faction to put people at risk for it. Um, like if you know, if I thought that the 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 Kuhn and like that alliance was the key to defeating Corypheus, maybe that would be different. But it, it kind of goes into like how there's no like tangible systems per se of like these choices of sacrifice that you make that are supposed to give you these other assets and these other um, you know, these other forces behind you. They don't really amount to anything, and they they're very replaceable in terms of like because like there there are no systems in place for it. So like I know we're still gonna be able to accomplish what we need to do. So ultimately, it's just like a non-factor to me. And it's like I get that it has like larger ramifications for Bull and the like kind of his relationship with his culture. But I also like I mean he doesn't seem to want to do that in the first place. Like it's not like I'm having to go against him. And, like, what he wants and kind of, like, take the agency from him and what he wants to do. Um, I mean, it would be nice if they gave you, like, the option to be, like, Bull, what do you want to do? They, those are your men down there. Um, but you don't get that, so I just kind of go with what my... I get the sense that he wants to do in the first place, so. Yeah. Um, I, I guess this is a good point to kind of move forward into some of the romance stuff, because I think one of the weirder things about Bull for me is that until you get very deep into romance stuff and even when it is happening i i rarely get the sense that bull is like making decisions that are separate from what the player is intending to happen and maybe this is like a you know residual feelings from dragon age 2 where we had all these characters that kind of operated independently from hawk and had their own agendas and had their own things that they wanted to do but um, Bull, like, early on is established as this Talvashoth spy, Talvashoth, um, Ben Hosrip spy who is Fantasy posing, word, fantasy word. Yeah, who's <laughs> posing as a Talvashoth. Um, and, you know, he's supposed to be this character with his own agenda. But, like you said, for the most part, like, Debance of the Kuhn, you kind of make the decision for him. You don't, you know, I, I don't even remember there being, like, a moment where you can push that. It's just like, hey, which one do you want to do? Uh, and then uh, as things kind of go on, you know, he gives you the sense there's like a scene where you meet up with him and some assassins jump him and he's just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, that was a formality. They didn't actually think they were going to kill me. They're just doing that to let me know that I am, you know, excommunicado. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And we'll murder one of our own people in the process to do it because we're ruthless, weird <laughs> monsters. Of- two of them actually what the first guy gets let off kind of easy he just gets stabbed i think the other dude gets straight up thrown off the wall of skyhold (laughs) i feel bad for him um but it's so i i guess this is a good time to talk about the romance because so i did the whole thing where you know i flirted with him a couple times and he shows up later on and you know he's in your bedroom and he's all like oh i i i can pick up on the signs you want to ride the bull and all that um, and to be and, clear, I've I've been down on the uh, a lot of uh, Bioware writing on this thing. To be clear, I did want to ride the bull as well. I yes, still absolutely. do like Iron Bull. 100%. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, that that scene, that specific scene, is incredibly well written. And I think some of the the romantic stuff around Bull is surprisingly well written uh, in terms of like he, if you decide to continue the relationship with him, he sets up like ground rules very early on and he's like he's very forthcoming and again this they kind of paint this as like this is what the kunari culture is like they they um give you stories about how 
uh canary warriors will go into I, I i forgot what the the fantasy word is but it's like they're um healers essentially to have sex just so it keeps it off their mind and they can kind of just go and take care of it and then go about their lives and, and everything's well but because of that bull is also very much at least from the start not into the idea of love like he very specifically i remember a line was like sex is not an act of love for for canary um which in in that first encounter you know it's a fun fling it's you know there's some playful teasing it gives you like every opportunity you would want to say like i'm not down for this i changed my mind whatever and bull would be very cool about that if you do choose that it's the stuff that comes after where all of a sudden now bull is like oh well you know let's set some ground rules and maybe let's have a relationship and then this is how you make a necklace if say you wanted to prove your love for me which i i get is supposed to be like this offhand thing that the inquisitor learns about and then does to like express that they want to stay in a committed relationship with bull um but to me it just constantly felt like you were you were pressing this character who had already kind of told you how they view a sexual relationship to have it be something else and the character just goes with it like it's just totally cool with it um and you bring them the the necklace the dragon tooth necklace and and bull's like oh yes you are my kadan my heart now uh we are we are in love and i was like really that's it you like gave me this whole speech like five minutes ago about how none of this means love or anything like that now you're totally down for it um, i mean i believe the idea or at least, at least the way that I interpreted it at the time was that the two things were not necessarily intertwined, but also not necessarily mutually exclusive. And then mm. what ends up happening is that you're allowed to have that kind of relationship with Iron Bull, but if you decide to take it farther, you can. Yeah. Um, and how that ends up working out, I'm actually not 100% sure if you can just like have a sort of friends with benefits situation with Iron Bull and then also romance other characters or if other characters will just lock you out of that or if uh, you will then be locked out the other way. I'm actually not 100% positive how that ends I, up working out. I know you can date multiple characters at the same time or, or like have multiple romances in a single playthrough, but I think for some specific characters, you have to not be in any sort of romantic entanglement at the time that you are starting that um which again is like inquisition that's kind of cool in a way but also can get kind of messy if you're trying to like rationalize out the actual logistics of all that um you know the inquisitors just kind of running around and having all these flings with various people in skyhold um and then breaking it off in a in a dialogue window right uh i there there is one like very specific part of bull and in, in his romance that i liked a lot where he mentions like um there's there's something that he says in that first fling that you can bring up again later where you can be like hey you said earlier that this is what i needed like what does that mean and he kind of he goes into this whole thing about well like you are the inquisitor you are the herald of andraste you didn't ask for any of this you have thousands of people looking up to you at all times life and death decisions all the time you needed to be in a room away from the world in a place where you did not have to be the person in charge. And right. so I mm. feel that. And I was like, man, that's, I like that. That's good writing. That's good. 
mm, I like everything about that. That's great. Um, there, there's a very lighthearted and and not not super subtle, but also not super direct um, sort of uh, and and very positive. I think positive certainly for a video game, like positive interpretation of like BDSM and that sort mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm, in yeah. in the story there. That uh, you just it, it never really plays out on screen because that's just how these games work that just kind of always cut away and you see some side titty and that's it um but that is uh still a fairly good um way of handling a lot of that stuff i felt mm. yeah uh there is like yeah. one ken you can go first actually oh, i was gonna say we also have that scene uh where cullen uh hey, just yeah that's what Sandra i was to bring up walk in. <laughs> um yeah which is a really fun scene and also kind of highlights an issue i have with the romance i guess it's god this is like iron bull is the character that I'm like, i love but let me list the ways in which i have problems with this character um that that scene is interesting because i mean at first it's like you know comedic relief haha bull is completely naked while the inquisitor is completely clothed which i found a little weird um but you know all the advisor well two of the advisors and then cassandra are coming in like one by one and reacting to it and each of them has different reactions. You know, Colin is like, oh my god, I can't look upon the nudity. And and Josie has this kind of interested face on um, and makes a joke about, like, who wouldn't be interested. Um, and Cass- but Cassandra, like, the way she delivers that line where she's like, I expect this is a momentary diversion. There's even, like, a little pause where she's like, momentary diversion. And that's kind of the... I guess tipping point for whether you want to fully romance bull or not. So where you're either mm. like, yeah, no, we're just messing around or no, I actually care about this person kind of rubs me the really wrong way because all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, is, is Cassandra like low key racist or something? Mm. Like, I feel like I missed something in the, yeah, in the dialogue I, so far. <laughs> I don't personally remember her saying anything about the canary, but like the implication that like, if that had been probably anybody else in Skyhold, there wouldn't have been a question as to whether or not this was meaningful or like, mm. and, and to be fair, like there are other characters that you announce your romance to and, and they question it a little bit. I think if you, when you're doing Sarah's quest, there was the stuff where uh, I think Solus and Vivienne like look down upon it and all that. And you various characters do disapprove of various romances and stuff, but that, something about that being like a tipping point of like with Sarah, it was like, Oh, you're romancing her and ha, huh, some people approve, some people disapprove, but it's what you're doing. But then having it be like a breaking point where all of a sudden you can be like, Oh yeah, no, I'm just messing around. Don't worry about that. I'll, I'll be out of here in a moment. Like that just, it left a weird taste in my mouth to be like, that's where they decided to put a breaking point. That's where they decided to say, like, oh, you get one last chance to cut it off here after Cassandra does a mild racist thing. Like, I yeah, don't I don't, I, I didn't necessarily get the racist uh, element from that either. But again, it's been a long time since I've played. But I do, there is an element of it too, of just like being put on the spot in a way that is a little bit awkward um, in a way that is maybe not as bad as like, you know, Cassandra being racist or something like that. <laughs> but um, there is a little bit of an element there of just like, 
well, it's do or die time. You have to fucking make a decision because you've been forced into this uh, into this spot by your your good friends who yeah. are all demanding to know what your relationship status is when it's not necessarily one hundred percent their um, business to begin with, and mm-hmm. it could just be and should probably just be a goofy funny scene, which it is a goofy funny scene. I like I like oh, that yeah. scene a lot. Um, but then also they decide to layer on some mechanics into it too, mm. which is is just very awkward. I feel classic Bioware. Classic Let's, Bioware. Something <laughs> smacks of mechanics. Not, yeah, surely mechanics will not ruin our tone at any point in this game. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it just comes off to me as that way when when it suddenly throws the mechanics in there. Um, so yeah, I guess it could also be read as like this is just cassandra being overbearing and overprotective and being like you've got inquisitor things to do you can't be riding the bull all the time what are you doing like like when i i got the same vibe from when sometimes mm. in in dragon age origins where i was like why do you care so much what i'm doing with my personal life yeah um overbearing characters this is dragon age you know what we're here for <laughs> <laughs> yeah everybody's a little overbearing in some way or another for um, sure I still love Cassandra too. Don't get me wrong on oh, that Cassandra's one either. Cassandra's the best. Yeah, and maybe that's also why it irks me is because Cassandra's like my favorite character in that game. So I was like, why would you ever dare put her in a position that does not make her perfect? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, do we want to talk a little bit about? I, I can, for lack of a better term, like Bull's drinking habit and stuff, and the way that's kind of presented in game. Because I know that was mm. something you've brought up in the past and the way it like ties into Dorian. Um, yeah. I, I noticed it when I was playing this this time around just because you have a lot of scenes where Bull is kind of always putting you in situations where you are drinking with other characters and you get approval for drinking all his various alcohols and stuff. And I just kind of... I don't know if it was maybe because you had mentioned it before and I was just paying closer attention, but this is mm. a character who like definitely has attachment to certain things in the same way that like Ogren kind of gave me a weird vibe in origins with the way he was with that stuff. And they kind of danced around addressing Mm -hmm. it a lot of the time. Yeah. So for me, it's not just like that bull might have a problem, but also that he is maybe willing to take advantage of the fact that other people might also have a problem um, Mm -hmm. and encourage it and enable it. Cause so for anyone that doesn't, doesn't know yet if you don't romance either dorian or bull in a playthrough they will end up together uh and the way that it kind of gets revealed to you is through like banter if you've got both of them in your party and bull is like kind of loudly proclaiming what has happened when dorian is like not about that he doesn't want people like to talk about it in front of everybody and the sort of implication was that bull got dorian drunk and that eventually like you know it becomes a more meaningful relationship but it starts out like in a way where it feels like bull kind of just floating through skyhold just kind of being careless about the ways that he maybe encourages or enables certain behaviors and so like there's like a not great undertone as to how it starts like it's very um, i don't know i wouldn't call it outwardly manipulative but just like careless and you know, I can't really speak for how it ends up because that's, you know, by the, that point it's kind of maybe evolved into a more healthy relationship and it even factors into things like Trespasser and the epilogue that comes up. But um, I'm not a fan of how it starts and I think it's just kind of like, like you even, like when you have that scene with him where after you like beat a dragon with him and it's like, you know, this big approval um, 
raising event. Um, he's like repeatedly like telling you to keep drinking, and every time you take a swig, it his approval goes up, and it's like I don't know, like he's got a weird relationship with the way that he kind of enables other people's bad behavior in ways as well yeah. as his own. Um, and yeah. the thing about that, like, I think you're absolutely right in the in reading that at. Um, as a person who understands storytelling, like like I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the issues there is uh, that it Bioware thinks it's telling a joke at that point. Right. Like with a lot of that yeah. stuff, like Bioware is playing that stuff for laughs, and they they're playing with stuff. They're playing with material that is uh, that for some people is is very difficult and very harmful in a lot of cases because they're not really thinking that stuff through. And you know, mm. you you can make the excuse like ah, oh, it was four years ago. Storytelling in video games was very different back then. But it's like alcoholism was fucking a thing back then too like you know taking advantage of people in in precarious mm. situations was a thing back then too like let's not get, yep. get it twisted this game came this game's not that old um right. but it, like that is what they think they're doing and right. it's just distasteful is i think yep. what is is i think what it may basically boils down to in right. a way that i think a lot of stuff in uh, Bioware stuff just like does not hold up anymore uh, right. in a lot of different ways, and I I think that's yeah. as somebody who just rewatched a lot of Mass Effect stuff. Um, Mass Effect is a game I think that has not or uh, like uh, culturally and politically in a lot of ways has mm-hmm. just not aged yeah. well. Yeah, and I think that that's probably kind of the idea they have for like what Bull probably like the inner monologue of the Iron Bull is thinking like this is fun, this is weird, it's palling around, this is a joke, this is fun, and like that. Yeah, that's like a flawed character trait, but I also just don't think it does a lot to... It does very little to endear me to him in the way that they might think it's supposed to. Um, and it really just does the opposite. Like, I... I don't know. It's... I get why people have fun with Iron Bull and why he's, like, an endearing character to a lot of people. I'm just, like... I'm kind of ready to, like, put him at arm's length because I can just realize that, like, there are, like, toxic traits here that I just don't drive with anymore. And, like, he was my, like, primary warrior for the first two times I played this game. And this time I'm just, I'm, I'm sticking with Cassandra. Like, Bull doesn't need to be around. I can, you know, experience his story from afar. To be fair, I, having now played, like, a couple dragon fights and stuff like that with Bull in the party, uh, I forget when we were talking about this, but Iron Bull absolutely dies in, like, four hits. <laughs> he straight up like gets owned by the dumbest things in this game and he's supposed to ostensibly be a warrior slash like beefier character and this dude like eats one arrow to the face and goes down so like uh in gameplay wise yeah absolutely like cassandra and, and actually blackwall i've been using blackwall more because i think our we're getting close on our episode for that and i need to start building some approval with that character as well but um it's I, I think I was okay with some of the the drinking stuff in terms of the like the post dragon fight scene because you do have the option to just be like hey no nah, I'm good I'm not going to drink that um you you have fun bowl uh and you don't really lose it like you lose some approval but it's not approval that you necessarily need to clear a benchmark like if you as long as you have not done anything massive to like make bull hate you and you have done like you killed the dragon with him in your party you're set like you will have enough approval to do his companion quest uh. But it, the Dorian thing that you mentioned, especially, is the one that stuck out to me. Where I was like, ah, "That's that's not aged well. It's not yep. could have been much better." Um, the other thing that we were going to talk about in terms of bull, I mean, like, 
I mentioned way earlier, you know, the Chargers are kind of part and parcel with Iron Bull, and one of the major parts of the Chargers is Krem, a.k.a. Cremesius Aclossi, a.k.a. Creme de la Creme, a.k.a. Creme Brulee. Ken, we got to talk about this now, okay? <laughs> there are multiple jokes in this game about Creme's name and using it for, like, Creme de la Creme and Creme Brulee. France doesn't exist in this world. <laughs> Can we please just uh, Yes, you know, that? creme de la creme, uh, that uh, Orlesian dish that is uh, so popular these days. Like, I, again, if we want to talk about a West Wing quote, I was actually watching it again recently because I have brain worms. And I also just, when I need to put something on Netflix while I play Hades on the Switch, I pick something I've seen a million times. And this time it was the West Wing. So... I, I was listening to it in the background. I was playing Hades Game of the Year Contender on my Switch, and uh, a line came up where two writers are kind of critiquing each other's work, and one of them says, when you use pop culture references, you date your work immediately. Like, it, is, it has the shelf life of 15 minutes. And I, I heard that, and I was like, huh, yeah, I guess that is true. Ironically, then, maybe uh, one of the best lines, one of the best aged lines from anything from the West Wing, but perhaps... <laughs> One of the only aged lines. Uh, the only one that can ever stand a test of time. Um, but yeah, no, later that night I was playing Dragon Age Inquisition and we got to that part where uh, Bull was like, creme de la creme. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> there's, there's no France in this world. Um, yeah, so now I've got that out of my system. Uh, creme. So I'm going to fully admit my... Uh, I guess I'll just straight up say ignorance towards some of this discussion. I I am a uh, cisgendered straight dude that uh, was not kind of in any of the discourse circles at the time that Dragon Age Inquisition came out. So I was not there to experience what the reaction to Krem was like. Uh, so I am kind of heavily leaning on my co-host and my, my wonderful guest here to, to fill me in a bit, but what has y'all's experience kind of been with Krem both back when this game first came out and I guess today? Uh, we can start with, with, with Steven. We'll put our guest on the spot first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the things that I uh, did the least. I, I remember that being a big thing at the time, but I did some of the least um, research into it because I didn't realize that we were going to be talking uh, much about Krem until like 15 minutes before the podcast. Gotcha. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, per works out no, perfectly. We, we I can, love that. We can bump it to Ken if you'd rather. Yeah, I mean, I can... I've got, like, yeah, a, Ken, no, if you know. I mean, I, I know a, a fair bit of stuff. Because like, a lot of the issue, as I... Or, I, I lead with the issue as if I think that that is like the place to start but my, generally okay speaking as a cis gay man my there are things that I appreciate about kind of the writing here that it's maybe not really about characterization per se but more just like the game making like a very clear statement in how it chooses to talk about uh, Crimson Identity as a trans man where I think at a certain point, like, it gives you dialogue options to assume that this is kind of like a Mulan situation where Krim is trying to pass as a man to, like, be in the Inquisition. But no, like, every like anytime you take one of those choices, whether it's Bull, whether it's Krim, or just, like, whoever's there, basically, like, throws up a line like, no, you idiot, I'm not passing, this is who I am. And I, like, mm -hmm. I really like the idea of it, like, 
giving like giving like shitty people the rope to hang themselves and like what walk into like <laughs> uh, basically being like no you fucking idiot like what are you talking about this is and you know then that happens on multiple occasions too because like there are multiple options like mm-hmm. to kind of say something like that and obviously like, I didn't take them but I've seen the way that it goes like when you and it, it may be kind of like cause, you know there are people that do every investigate option they're trying to like you know see every bit of dialogue and I think like it's kind of interesting to watch uh, I guess like the game be like you, there are questions you don't have to ask there are like things you don't have to inquire about in ways that are ignorant um yeah and if I mean, you, the, the context is yeah. different depending on, like, there has definitely been, especially in, the, like, I feel like the last two years in particular, there has definitely been this um, very, very, very online-ish push against, like, including anything that is bad or doesn't make you feel good in mm. in media yep. and being, like, uh, and, like, really fucking going after creators of things that include that stuff in there and being, like, ah, oh, I can't believe you would, you would fucking talk about this bad thing right. in the world or whatever, and yeah. that's not how that works. The difference is, I think, um, uh, maybe even a nuance that was not even really expressed at the time that this was happening, is that the minute that you give players the ability to, and the or the option to, be a dick, the worst of those people are absolutely always going to take that dickish option just to ch- fucking push the envelope, and then they're going <laughs> to twitch about it, and they're going to stream about it, and it's going to be on YouTube, and they're going to make reaction videos, and they're going to use that as fodder for a very, like, you know, shitty behavior and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, in a way that is slightly different than just like, ah, th- this has baby murder in it, that means you promote ba- baby murder or whatever. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, from that perspective, that that is something that I find uh, interesting about the way that this is done. I can't, I obviously I can't speak to uh, a lot of the portrayal of Krim's identity, but I do appreciate that bit, and I think that it's kind of like it, it, it kind of goes against sort of the way that a lot of Bioware games tend to handle mostly anything. Like just because it's very rare for these games to not make you feel like the world is bending to your will and your perception of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I do know that I can speak to is that Jennifer Hale voices Krim, and yeah. that's like, I, I don't think that would fly now. I think that was maybe an oversight that I don't think would stand, and I don't think would have gotten, like, I don't think the game would have gotten to gold with that in place. Um, you would hope not. Yeah, and, and I think, like, in general, the industry has gotten better about that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, on the whole. Yeah. So that's There's kind of definitely like my, some outliers. My yeah, oh, for sure. Um, uh, I'd say, uh, you know, as much as I know, um, you know, fanbyte.com definitely has its um, uh, fans of things uh, that the company has put out. I'd say uh, Sony has had some some issues with that in the past with one Troy Baker um, mm. and Infamous Second Son and then um, yeah. a lot of stuff in, like, Uncharted, The Lost Legacy, um, yeah, sure. having to lead um, people of color characters voiced by two white women, uh, if I'm mm. not mistaken. Slightly different situation, but it is definitely uh, a very, you know, similar vein of thought and practice. Right. And and that's kind of the weird part for me about this was I was going, oh, there's Jennifer Hale. And so I was like, okay, they, they did like their star casting. And I had the moment of pause where I was like, why was this the character they did the star casting on when they probably should have gone for accurate casting? Mm-hmm. And again, that's something that is more of a modern discussion uh right. nowadays but 
it yeah it does I, I think scout harding also has a famous voice actor if i'm not mistaken uh that's like, liara's voice actress ah okay that's what it was yeah. um so like famous in bioware world i, I guess like scout harding Mm. (laughs) um but that's uh it's it's a situation where i was like um playing playing through this time i i honestly like i was in kind of a similar boat uh where i could not remember much about krem other than like the basic rundown of krem as a character um from my original time playing inquisition and this time going through it um i had that same moment uh ken where i was going through some of the dialogue options with with krem and with uh bull specifically where you can get into after you have met the chargers and it gives you that whole you've got four options and one of them is oh my god and the other ones are just like okay cool (laughs) and um but you can and and i mean we talked about the the way it does kind of the same thing with dorian um in in dorian's side quest as well where you can be like oh my god or you can just be like oh yeah okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. um there's I, I was going through Bull's dialogue options about it, and there was like one very specific one where it was like, uh, so about Krem. And it kind of brings up, like, it, the way it brings up the topic is it kind of intimates that the Inquisitor's like, so you're really working with Krem. And it gives you kind of two options. It's like, but uh, Krem is uh, someone passing it someone else. And I was I looked at that option and I just like did the biggest oofda face. Mm. And the other option was just like, but Krem's from Tevinter. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking more along that line. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did look at that option and I was like, that's something that somebody could have just picked as a, you know, Bioware investigate option if they were in that sort of you know we talked about before clear the left side of the wheel then clear the right side of the wheel yeah. way of going through every dialogue in a totally. bioware game those games um, train you specifically to re- interact with dialogue in a very specific way a lot of the time mm-hmm. like from the even from the u- way it is presented in the ui is like yep this needs to be uh i want to have everything go from yellow to gray or whatever mm-hmm. right. um yep. and it's a thing where it's just like maybe this would have been better served i think actually like when i think back on my my even vaguer memories of um dragon age 2 i think um that game has some moments in it where that um manages to handle some of that stuff a little bit better or not not that exact situation but they there is a subtlety to certain ways that um dialogue is handled and like presents interiority of hawk in a way that like the inquisitor just doesn't get and you really just don't get in most modern bioware games because we don't get internal monologue from the characters all the characters can do is say what they say. They we can't ever choose a dialogue, quote unquote dialogue option that's just like in parentheses and the inquisitor decided to there was none of their fucking business and just didn't do that thing. Like um whereas in Dragon Age 2 there's that thing where uh you can like try to confess your love for what's her name? Aveline. Um you're kind of like a mm-hmm. uh, yes, warrior yeah. type. Um and Hawk will literally just like start the sentence and be like you know what? Never mind. Actually, you know what? I'm going to shut the fuck up right now. Like, like Hawk mm. will just take over at that point and just be like, no. Because you can get the idea of what Hawk was thinking, but also Hawk doesn't actually say the yep. stupid thing that Hawk was going to say. Uh-huh. Right. And we talked about it kind of earlier in the, the season. Like, by making the Inquisitor, like, this more um, malleable character than, than Hawk was, like, he got, like, a lot of that characterization is kind of on you to both, like, execute in the, the ways that you can in the game and also internalize. And I think that's 
ultimately like where I came from, like where I just by making the direct decision to not pick those dialogue options, I was asserting like a mindset into that mm-hmm. universe, whether it's necessarily reflected or acknowledged in like a you know a really tangible way. Um, right. So mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's reflective of modern like narrative design because we see a lot of this in, in games like Disco Elysium was a very good recent example of you could try to exhaust all the dialogue options. It might actually be worse off if yeah. you do. You it might can literally yourself, hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll put yourself in a worse position if you do that. Like you'll take psychic damage from trying to argue with a child. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but which is and that one will just like they you know, they that is kind of played for laughs in a way because it's just like uh, the psychic damage will literally just kill you and you'll get a fail state and just have to reload yep. from five yep. seconds ago. But it's a, it's, a, it's a mechanical way of handling that, whereas the Bioware games have just not been traditionally very interested in presenting like a mechanical way of, of handling silence or mm-hmm. um, the, the option, the, the implicit act of not acting sometimes because mm-hmm. inaction is in itself like a decision. It's a choice. It's, I, it's reflective of, of how Bioware games have come out to because i think we talked about this during mass effect but like um you know we had friend of the show chase carter on who wrote a really great story about how shepherd is this this character who is very much like space special ops and kind of goes where they want and does what they want so it kind of fits that character to be like i'm going to interrogate every option i can and learn as much info as i can because i'm here in this manner and this is how i'm presenting myself but for an inquisitor it's a little bit different especially in like more person-on-person situations which i feel like you're encountering more often in this game as opposed to mass effect where a lot of your conversations outside of the ones that happen on the normandy are very much like high stakes combat situations and stuff like that um so it's it's kind of like two different approaches to conversation for me and, and i guess like my my overall thought on it is that like ken said way before I do like that it basically sets the rake up for people to step on if they decide to just be that person and push that issue and then Bull will just be like, hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but um, it's it's always a tricky thing to, to nail down right. And I can't, you know, I, I don't feel like I am a person who can say 100% that they did this right or not. That's not my place to speak. But it did make me think about how we view representation in these games a lot and and how we can continue to do well and continue to do better uh using these examples so all that to say dragon age is a game that makes you think (laughs) yeah at the end of the day dragon age inquisition is a game of contrasts uh truly (laughs) i mean look bioware god i mean it would not be a dragon age game if it was not about like well this is my favorite but it's a little problematic totally uh, yeah and and you know they are just it, yeah it is such a hmm, such a formative fandom for a lot of different people that is mm-hmm. uh that we are watching age up in real time and around it and without new content to go off of necessarily which is like kind mm-hmm. of an interesting mm-hmm. thing that just there hasn't been another one of these in a long long time yet it was incredibly formative for a lot of people and then a lot of business decisions happened that have like you know made it so that it has not happened again for a little while so <laughs> we've had a long time and and people who like grew up on these games in a way that even i didn't um you know i was like god i suppose it was origins 2010 was that 2010 29 20 20 
2009. 2009. Um, 29. So God, 29 AD. 29. Okay, so I was... At this point, um, might as well be. <laughs> yeah. God, it feels like it. Um, you know, it would have been then it would have been about 19. So I guess I would have still been pretty ripe uh, age to get into something exactly like this um, back then. But, you know, even younger people now who, like, grew up on Inquisition are, are getting now to a point where they are, like, you know, becoming adults and stuff like that and then we are mm-hmm. seeing them have a years-long gap there where they can be exposed to many different kinds of other uh forms of media and uh a much greater breadth of uh possibility spaces whereas i don't think it uh, i think um the bioware games and and dragon age in particular are imaginative in the sense that they're very creative a lot of the time, but they aren't always imaginative in the sense that they can imagine different or better worlds um, in or or allow themselves to believe that those better worlds are sustainable or possible for long periods or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're coming to a point now, just in in the world where it's like maybe we want that, maybe that maybe that's what we want a little bit more. And I, I'm actually going to be very very curious to see where Dragon Age Four takes. Um, some of that stuff going forward and it's kind of like it's imagination it's it's um belief uh in a possibility space where the world can change and be different in that or if it's just going to be like here's another kind of standalone story set vaguely in the same universe with a new character (laughs) i know kenneth you wrote a little bit about that for us uh not too long ago in fact (laughs) yeah Kenneth is unrolling a massive scroll. His, his <laughs> 95 theses he's going to nail to the door of Bioware Edmonton. Jesus. <laughs> One um, day you won't be working from home anymore and you'll find this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Dragon Age 4, it will exist theoretically at some point. We'll have to go through all this again. Right after Anthem 2.0, baby, it's coming. Anthem 2.0. Loot 2.0, we're getting there. Oh. As always, we are Normandy FM. We are a podcast that covers Bioware games. We are specifically on Dragon Age Inquisition. We have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash normandyfm, you can go there and support us. We have many wonderful people who do support us, and we love to shout them out if they back at certain tiers. And this week, that is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, Just Colin, Just Reds, Just, Zach Mickle, and the Wedge of Destiny, who I've now learned through my own open world exploration in in Dragon Age, I believe that's a reference to a wheel of cheese that appears oh. in every Dragon Age game, as I learned, because I found one said wheel of cheese uh, while I was exploring, I think it was the Hinterlands, uh, and it's a hmm. giant shield that is a big block of cheese that you can have one of your warriors use, and it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, if you cannot back on our Patreon you can always head over to twitter.com slash show and follow us there where we publish out to all different kinds of podcast services. Steven thank you again so much for coming on this week and being an excellent guest talking all things Iron Bull and Dragon Age it was wonderful to finally have you on yeah thanks for having me I really appreciate it where can the fine folks at home find all your work and content? Well, if I haven't already plugged it in passing often enough yet, I write for uh, fanbyte.com, where I also do a bunch of editing for a lot of different great freelance writers uh, from time to time. Uh, you can go read all of my stuff there or listen to us at fanbyte.com slash podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Stephen Strum. That is spelled with a V, by the way, not the more common PH spelling. And it is Strum, not Storm, uh, as I think every telemarketer I've ever interacted with in my life needs to learn. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Next week, Ken, we're we're diving into it. We're diving plot? into the abyss next week. Actual story progression next week. What? <laughs> oh, the way we have structured this season has meant that we have been doing a bunch of companion quest episodes. Uh, but next week we will be doing Here Lies the Abyss, where we're gonna have to make some uh, some big choices here, Ken. And I imagine we will be getting into it because I know this is one of the things that the game does that we have many many thoughts on. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh boy, I am a little bummed with the save files that we have. To be honest, I was kind of hoping that one of us would would brave it out and have a different character appear mm-hmm. as the warden character rather than the one that i think most people have appear yeah. um although i think it is kind of difficult to have one of those other two characters appear unless you do some very specific things in origins but yeah hmm. it's a it's an ordeal to get them there although i think some yeah some people probably have the person we have as the king Wait, that seems what? easier than huh Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, if you guys need some old saves, um, I went through uh, Hell and High Water to get myself a, a living Terran Loghain and uh, Alistair the King uh, save Wait, back in the day. What? Yeah, that was a that that's, was a tough one. That's possible. Yes, which, you have to make Alistair kind yeah. of a bastard. Is kind of the solution. <laughs> huh. Interesting. I did not know that was a possible thing to do yeah huh. Loghain? yeah Terran no, Loghain I mean, I mean, and I mean, Alistair the king yeah Alistair is king and Loghain still alive oh yeah yeah it's a whole thing huh yeah I t- it took a lot of work <laughs> and I think I had to re- replay that game from the beginning to get it for my I replayed uh, Origins all the way through to have that save file set when Awakening came out to uh transfer over uh it was in the whole idea I had a lot more free time back then it turns out remember what that was like <laughs> No. Oh, I can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being home all the time with my work immediately God. next to me. Oh, God! I had so much free time back then. I bought the fucking Dragon Age prequel tie-in book uh, before Awakening came out and read that. Ugh, bad, bad, bad time. Bad time in my life. Made poor choices. <laughs> Could have learned but so it, much. It was a simpler time, and it did also lead to you being on this wonderful podcast. Hopefully, we'll find a way to do it again in the future, too, depending on whatever games we get around to at this point. Warframe, Warframe, Warframe. mm. You're not a Jade Empire fan, are you? I've never played it. Okay. That's a common common theme we're finding out. Yeah, I mean, I haven't played it either, so... Uh, It's on my list. My understanding is very short. I've always meant to try it. Ken, that's another name off the list. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep searching. <laughs> Until none of the time. none of the old suspects are coming back. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Until next time, for Ken, for Steven, for myself, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on Normandy FF. <laughs> We have watched and waited 